Hey, this is Brian Golden. I am the lead pastor of Centerpoint Church, and I just want to welcome you to our podcast and thank you for taking the time to listen. And I just want to let you know if you are in the greater Tampa Bay area, we would love to have you join us at one of our gatherings. And here's the thing about Centerpoint. Our vision is really simple. We want to be an alternative to church as usual for all people. And that just means we want this to be a safe place that welcomes everybody, doesn't matter what your background is or really where you're at on your faith journey. And so if you want any more information about our gatherings, go to our website at centerpointfl.org. And then most importantly, whether you're a longtime follower of Jesus or you're just in that place of investigating faith, I really hope today's message encourages you and really helps you to find life and freedom in Jesus. Hey, what's up, CC? It is so glad. I'm so glad to be back and glad you are joining us from wherever you are. I always say this every week, but local area, out of the local area, around the country, around the world. Um, so glad you're joining. And here's what I want you to do real quick, if you don't mind, and if you're able to do it. If you are watching on Facebook right now, go and share this uh, real quick. Um, if you've got a friend that you meant to invite, you still got time to text them real fast. Uh, but just share this with somebody that you know. I said this uh, this last week, but I think it's real easy when we're gathering in the room to realize how significant an invite is with a family member, a friend, um, somebody that we know that we're doing life with. And I just wanna encourage you, I think your invite means even more now, more people are logging on than ever before. And so let's not stop as a church inviting people in to experience an alternative to church as usual. And I think this series might help some people. And so go share it right now and we're gonna dive into how to not be your own worst enemy. Now, real quick before I get into that, um, this last week, we put out some more details about our new re-entry date. We are not reopening because uh, we have never been more open than we are right now, as we've said often. Like Jesus is moving every single week to save people, to connect people to local church, to reach people all over our area and beyond. But we are excited about eventually being back in person, obviously. So um, go to centerpointfl.org slash re-entry. All the information is there. There'll also be a video out to, uh, tomorrow just trying to explain as best as we possibly can. And we've got some really cool stuff coming up in terms of some in-person gatherings, some smaller uh, focused gatherings that I'm super excited about. So stay, stay tuned for all of that and um, go check that information out today. So, all right, wherever you're at right now, lean in. I know it's hard sometimes. Um, if you've got a couple kids like me, you need to go um, shut them away somewhere. Uh, but just try to like lean in for just a second as we get started in this series. And the title kind of says it all, how to not be your own worst enemy. And we've talked about this a lot. I've done several series just around this idea right here, so I won't set it up too much, but I think all of us know, like if we're honest for just a second, that all of us have the propensity to be our own worst enemy. Like nobody has let me down more than me. And that's not to like excuse stuff that's happened to us and things that we've walked through that other people have done. I get all that. But still, if you took the accumulation of all the decisions that you've made in your life, if I took the accumulation of all my decisions, all of my greatest regrets center around me. Like I was there for all of them. And the same is true for you. Like you were there for all of your greatest regrets. There's one common denominator and it is you. Like you chose to do it. You chose to decide it. You chose to smoke it, to drink it, 
to date it, to marry it, like whatever. But all of it, there is a common denominator. And so the point is just this, I think if we're honest at all, nobody has undermined our own happiness and nobody has undermined our own fulfillment more than we have. All of us have the propensity to make decisions. And sometimes like we know it's gonna be a train wreck. So there's that um, where it's like, I might end up in the back of a car with a tattoo I don't want. But then there's the other ones where it's like, you actually thought it was a great decision on the front end of it. Like you sold yourself all the way. Like this is gonna be great only to look back and go, what in the world was I thinking? Like, why did I do that? Why did I give into that? So here's really the underlying, I think, idea behind this series. And I'm just gonna set it up today so we're going somewhere and it will get more personal and maybe a little bit more uncomfortable as we go in this series. So I'll start out broad today, but here's the kind of the underlying idea. How do you say no to the emotions that compete for control? Because what we're gonna talk about is the fact that all of these things that cause you ultimately to be your own worst enemy, generally they start with emotions inside that we have not learned to deal with that ultimately make their way out in our decisions, our behavior, and ultimately how we treat people. Now, here's the difficult thing about what we're gonna talk about. Um, Nobody likes to be told what to do. Like nobody. And this isn't like just a little kid thing, though it's a little kid thing. Like I have a five-year-old right now who loves to lecture me on things. Like he knows what he's talking about, about the world. It's going to shut up, son. Like it loves to give me information and download stuff to me and argue points and the dude's five years old. So it starts there, but it continues. Like I don't care what age you are. All of us kind of have this in us. It started in the Garden of Eden. Like we don't want to be told what to do. In fact, we talked about this word a few um, weeks ago, and that's this word autonomy. Like all of us have this underlying desire and pursuit for autonomy. And autonomy is just this. I wanna do what I wanna do, when I wanna do it, with whom I wanna do it with, and then I would add in enough money to pay for it and keep me out of trouble if I get into trouble. Come on, you know what I'm talking about? Like, and, and in fact, we look at people and we aspire to that. Like if I just had that level of autonomy, I wanna do what I want, when I want, with whom I want, and I need enough money to finance it and keep me out of trouble when I get into trouble. And for some reason, like there's this thing that we are drawn to. And here's why that is so unbelievably enticing for this reason, because we all have this idea. And I think it's a lie, but you can decide for yourself. We all have this idea that once I can call my own shots, I'll call the right shots. Like once I can call my own shots, I will call all the right shots. Despite the evidence in our own history, I don't care who you are, that so many times we have been our own worst enemy. So here's what I would say. Our need for supervision, meaning keeping ourselves from becoming our own worst enemy, our need for supervision might someday come to an end if we silence the toxic voices that come from within. And I didn't mean to be weird and rhymey, but like, that's really what it comes down to. Like there has to be the ability to distinguish and to silence the toxic voices and emotions that compete for control in your life that always lurk beneath the surface, but eventually are coming out in every aspect of your life. Again, it's why you look at people with autonomy that have some level of like a boss or they've got some kind of independence or financial freedom or whatever. And then they make stupid train wreck decisions. And it's so easy to look at that and go, no, 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 I wouldn't, I'd never do that, not me. I'd never make that decision. I'd never spend that. I'd never walk out like that. Like what are, what are they thinking? But the reality is every single one of us are susceptible in different areas of our life. And for that to be true, meaning we wouldn't go in that direction. There is something that you gotta do. Here's the negative of what I just said. Our need of supervision will never come to an end. 
until we silence the toxic voices that come from within. Like, here's the thing for all of us. We don't get into trouble and start moving down a path because we don't listen to advice. Generally, we start moving down a path that ultimately we didn't want to go because we listened to our own advice. And we start to tune into voices from within that are based off of our emotions. And I just want to tell you, no matter how smart you think you are, just listen to me for a second. We all are in danger of listening to emotions that distort, or rea- distort reality because a lot of times, if we are unaware of the emotions that lurk behind us and below the surface, we end up following those emotions that distort our reality. And then we look back on decisions and maybe whole seasons of our lives and we say again, what was I thinking? Like, why did I do that? Why did I make that decision? Why did I live that way with those priorities for that long? Because you began to lean into emotions that were never identified and dealt with and they distort reality around you. And come on, all of us have an endless capacity to to sell ourselves, if I can talk, on really bad ideas and bad decisions. So here's really the question, and I'm not gonna fully answer this today. And in fact, I can't even answer this, but I want you to start thinking about it. What are some of the emotions in your life that compete for control? And maybe you don't even know yet. I'm hoping you're gonna know in a few weeks. But what are some of the emotions in some cases that you haven't really identified, but what are the emotions in your life ultimately that compete for control and have the potential to make you your own worst enemy? Now, here's the thing. All of us are taught to monitor our behavior, but we're never taught how to monitor those emotions. We're never taught how to identify those emotions that ultimately lead to the decisions and the behaviors and the relational um, tension or relational dynamics that we're experiencing. We're just taught basically from the earliest age and churches are just as guilty as everybody else. We love behavioral modification because it's really, really easy. Here's what you do to like get an education. Here's what you do to fit in. Here's what you do to get some friends. Here's what you do to ultimately graduate. Here's what you do to get a date. Here's what you do to hopefully get a second date. Here's what you do to get a job, keep a job. And as long long as we can play that game, everybody's good. And then throw a little Jesus in there, attend church every once in a while, everybody will applaud you. And we are taught how to monitor our behavior and live life kind of in this bubble where, where we, as long as we look good, everybody's satisfied. And then Jesus steps into the picture and says, there is something so much deeper than that. And it's why for some of us, we've played that game for so long And yet we have been moved into these decisions or at a place in our life where we're really not satisfied because we've never learned to go beyond that. Because Jesus says, it is not enough to monitor your behavior. There is some emotions and some stuff on the inside that if you do not learn how to identify it and deal with it, you will be the person who undermines your own happiness and your own future. In fact, What Jesus says around this subject, like no overstatement, I think are some of the most profound words that Jesus says in all the New Testament. And I would say for just me personally has impacted my life more than any other teaching of Jesus. It's impacted my parenting. It's impacted my marriage. It's impacted how I lead. It's impacted every part of my life. And I'm telling you, if what Jesus says is true, I don't care where you are in life, we got work to do. Like what he says is so important and it never ends. And if you can grab a hold of this insight, what it will do is to help you spot some things lurking beneath. It will help you spot your own bad advice that you are tempted to take before it is too late. Because come on, God is a God of grace and mercy. But as I've said a hundred times, there are certain decisions that you cannot get back and you can't get a do-over. 
You can't get a first marriage back. You can't get your 20s back. You cannot reparent your 11-year-old again. And so Jesus says, listen, I want you to pay attention to this. And so I wanna look at this narrative. One day, day Jesus was with his guys and uh, maybe you know this, there's the whole dynamic of the apostles. That was like the smaller group of guys that Jesus hung with, taught, discipled. I need some water. Um, and then there's the larger group of disciples. That at some level, sometimes would number into the hundreds of people. So one day Jesus is with his guys, the Pharisees are around. And, and as Jesus is talking, the crowd grows. And in the middle of this teaching, Jesus drops this extraordinary insight. Here's what he says, Matthew chapter 15, verse one. Then some of the Pharisees and teachers of the law came to Jesus from Jerusalem, meaning it was strategic. They left their city because they wanted to go find Jesus and they had an agenda as the Pharisees always did. And they asked Jesus, why do your disciples break the tradition of the elders and they don't wash their hands before they eat? Now, this is the only time like in my life where I've taught this passage where that verse actually seems somewhat relevant, where you read it and you're like, I don't know if that's a religious thing, but I think they should do that in light of COVID. Like they were way ahead of their time. Like they should be washing their hands, but that's not at all what these, the Pharisees were talking about. This was, um, honestly, the, the whole deal behind this was the tradition of the elders a lot of times called the oral Torah, was this thing that, um, in my view, the leaders in the first century just made up. I'll just be straight up. But they, they had this whole idea that when Moses was taking the Ten Commandments off of Mount Sinai, that he had the Ten Commandments on stone, but then there was some other, like, this oral commandments or oral tradition passed down to the select, you know, leaders and passed down from there to where now, first century, they had this whole set of rules and rituals that were oral Torah that only the elect leaders had, it was always men, and then they told other people what that oral Torah said. Basically, it was an entire list of loopholes. And Jesus calls BS on the whole thing. Excuse my language, but it fits what is about to go down and what Jesus says about the whole thing. Like, listen, guys, are you serious? Because what they would do is they would have this, this tradition of the elders, the oral Torah. So anytime they bumped up against a commander rule they didn't like, they would just go like, well, the oral Torah says, are you serious? Or they would create a list of rules that could circumvent the other rules that would be easy for them to keep so that everybody thought that they were super religious. Half of the rules were made up. And Jesus basically is hearing them talk and recognizing, listen, you guys are using this whole idea of an oral Torah or the tradition of the elders to make God seem so small and so petty. And you've lost sight of what actually matters. Like it's fast forward a few couple thousand years and, and it's the equivalent of whatever religious background you grew up in, with where you just start to have silly rules that mean nothing and yet they're a big deal to people. Like you can't watch the Smurfs because Gargamel is into Wicca or whatever it is and it's a real rule and all Christians followed it and like there are other people would look down if you watch the Smurfs and you think I'm kidding because you didn't grow up in crazy religious culture, but I'm dead serious. And there's all kinds of other crazy religious rules that go to you should do this or practice this or say this or do this ritual. And Jesus is like, the whole thing is just ridiculous and you have lost sight of what actually matters. And so Jesus replied, Pause just for a second as I look. Anytime you ask Jesus a question and then Jesus responds to your question with a question, you should just walk away. Like you should just end the, end the conversation and go, oh, we're done. So Jesus is like, okay, I hear what you're asking me. Let me ask a question to your question before I answer your question. And why do you break the command of God for the sake of your tradition? 
No, no, that's a good question. I got a better question, so I'll answer that one in a second. So I get your whole, why don't we wash our hands because of the oral tradition that you guys made up. Why do you break the commands of God for the sake of your, my word inserted, stupid traditions? And then he points to an example of their unbelievable hypocrisy and how all this played out. Because one of the things they would do, and you can read it for yourself, is they would designate these earmarked funds that most of the time they would never use as like their their offering to God. It was like earmarked for God, I guess in case God needed help. And then that earmarked kind of their, their offerings to God would be the way that they circumvented taking care of their elderly parents. So their parents would be in distress, they would need help, and basically they would go, and now they had a rule and it's from God, so I'm sorry, our hands are tied, we can't do anything, but we can't help you, mom and dad, because we've got this money earmarked for God, this special offering, and so it keeps us from meeting your needs. And in essence, what they would do is what religious people end up doing a lot of times is they used these commands as a way to unlove and mistreat other people. It was just a massive loophole. And so verse six, Jesus just stays with the in your face language and says, thus, guys, eye contact, you nullify the word of God for the sake of your tradition." And then as Jesus, I think, often did, there was just a pregnant pause and he just stares them down. You hypocrites. You're such hypocrites. Like it's so unbelievably hypocritical. Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you guys. And then Jesus quotes Isaiah, who I believe was inspired by God, words written hundreds of years before. And he says, this is Isaiah, Isaiah's words. Jesus is quoting verse eight. These people, you guys, You honor me with your lips, meaning you say all the right stuff. You know how to act. You know how to monitor your behavior. You know how to work in social settings. You know what to do when you come into the temple. You know what language to to use to get you off of whatever you don't want to do or whatever action you don't want to follow through with. You honor me with your lips, but your hearts are far from me. Basically, like Jesus starts to get ticked off because the whole deal was they had made religion a game and they'd use these oral traditions that nobody knew about to go, hey, that's not what that command actually means. That's not what, what God's actually saying. This is what you need to do. This is what we do. And they would create commands and lists that was easy for them to keep. And they would create a massive game that they could always win. And to everybody else, good luck. Hope you survive. Hope God is pleased with you. And the whole thing just became this ridiculous, hypocritical, didn't mean anything. And I guess the question I have for a lot of you, because I know some of our audience, does that sound familiar to your church background? You many religious people like that. Has that been the bulk of your experience with other people who call themselves Christians and it just doesn't seem to add up and a lot of it is just kind of silly? And so Jesus now is there and like a whole crowd is gathering. And so Jesus uses this moment, drops this massive insight that we're gonna get to in just a second. It's gonna lead our way in this series and then he just walks away. But he says, verse 10, listen and understand Jesus. What goes into someone's mouth? And in this case, the implication was accidentally. Basically, the whole thing that the Pharisees were were just up in arms about was these accidental breaches and religious rituals that didn't even mean anything. 
Like it wasn't even on purpose. Basically, it was a rule that if somebody ate something that was unclean, and I'm not gonna explain all of that, this was kind of that buffer or that guardrail to keep them from sinning, the, the whole wash your hands thing. And what Jesus was doing was not basically saying that all of your traditions didn't mean anything, they did. Jesus came to replace them and abolish them, but they were for a time and they did mean something. But what Jesus was saying is you've lost sight of what is most important. And so he said, listen and understand. What goes into somebody's mouth accidentally doesn't defile them. Like, hey guys, God's not petty. God's not small. God's not putting you on probation because of some accidental religious breach of etiquette. And that's all you guys are concerned about. What you wear, what you eat, what you say in a religious setting, doing this, this thing of conformity that everybody else holds to that God doesn't really care about. What goes into someone's mouth does not defile them, but... What comes out of their mouth, that is what defiles them. See, guys. And Jesus just walks away. And then his disciples start walking away with him. And I don't think they, I think they were walking away going, take that punks, like last word, that's all you need to know. We'll see you next time in the temple for round 17 or whatever. And then they're walking away. I think Peter's saying to John, do you have any idea what he's saying? John's like, I have no idea what he's saying. I don't understand anything that he just said, but it sounds like we got the last word and one against the Pharisees. And so then they get Jesus kind of alone and they're talking among themselves because the majority of the time Jesus drops some kind of teaching or parable and everybody's clueless. And so verse 12, the disciples came to Jesus and said, I love this. Do you know that the Pharisees were offended when they heard this? And Jesus has got to be like, have you not been paying attention? Everything that I say offends the Pharisees. Like my whole ministry has offended the Pharisees. In fact, religious people just find crap to get offended about all the time. Not really concerned about that. And then Jesus says this, leave them. Leave them because they're blind guides. And if the blind lead the blind, both fall into a pit. And then I love Peter. He's always the first to like step up and say something. Peter said, please explain the parable to us because we have no idea what you're talking about. And then Jesus says, verse 16, are you still so dull? And this is where real quick, I think we, we have trouble reading the scriptures with any kind of um, emotion or humor or sarcasm when it's all throughout the New Testament. I don't think Jesus was angry at this point. I think he probably hit Peter in the arm and he's like, are you still so dull? Are you serious? Like, do, do you still not get what I'm talking about and what I'm saying? And then, this is so important, Jesus stops and he explains in the next part of the convo kind of where he's going with this whole thing, this lead up. And he gives us a glimpse into what is most important to Jesus and what is most important to your heavenly father. And this is so huge. And I'll connect this in a few minutes. But, but here's just the, here's a spoiler alert. God is not most concerned with how our behavior affects him. And for a lot of you, that almost sounds like what? Because that's, that's what we grew up with. Some kind of list, some kind of ritual, some kind of denominational practice, whatever it was. And it's all built on making sure that my behavior doesn't offend God, that I stay good with God, that I'm all right with God. And I just wanna tell you, God is not most concerned with how our behavior affects him. And I would go a step further. If you are a part of a religious tradition, if you're a part of some kind of thing, denomination, whatever it was, where the whole thing is built on how you stay in good in God's graces, how you keep connection with God, whether God's okay, whether God's offended or not, whether God is pleased with you or not. I just wanna say this and it's bold, but I mean it. You should abandon that and run away 
and you should follow Jesus. And he starts to tease it out, verse 17. I think this whole thing is tongue in cheek, this part of it. Don't you see that whatever enters the mouth goes into the stomach and out of the body? His disciples are like, we understand that and it's kind of gross. And so, and then verse 18. But the things that come out of a person's mouth, these defile them. And again, Jesus is leading them somewhere. Hey, the accidental religious breach in in conduct of some religious tradition that doesn't mean anything, that doesn't matter. That's not what defiles a person. God's not offended by that. But what comes out of your mouth that ultimately affects your behaviors and your decisions and the trajectory of your life and your relationships? Like that's what matters most to God. And the word defiled had religious implications and it just simply meant this. Defile, which is kind of an old school word to some of you, just meant to be at odds with God. And again, not that God doesn't love you, not that God's grace is not available. The gospel or the good news is that Jesus came, lived a perfect life, died on the cross for all of the sins of all humanity, past, present, and future. My future dysfunction, Jesus already died for. And then three days later, he rose again, not just to defeat death, which ultimately will one day go away, but to defeat sin and offer forgiveness to every single person who simply says, Jesus, you are the only way and I trust you for forgiveness and for life. And once that transition of trust happens, nothing can ever separate you from the love and the relationship of God. So that's not what he's talking about. But in terms of, are you really following Jesus? The thing that causes you to be at odds with God or defile is not what goes in. It's not some breach in religious conduct. The point is this, what comes out of our mouths is the thing that can put us at odds with people, which ultimately puts us at odds with God. And that's what God is most concerned about. That's what God cares about the most. Not, are you doing everything so that you and God are cool and is God pleased and am I okay and is everything all right? God's like, no, no, no. The whole thing has changed. Jesus has brought something new. It's not about this primarily any longer. This is determined by what are you doing with the person to your right and left in front of you, behind you, the person you're married to, the kids that you parent, the people that you're the boss of, the individual that you interact with. Jesus would say, that is what I am most concerned about. And then here's the part that I left out though, and this is gonna set us up for where we're going, verse 18, the whole verse. But the things that come out of a person's mouth come from, what is it, online audience or in the house? Come from the heart. Literally, they originate from within. They start as emotions that are undealt with, that we start to think on, that we start to give airplay to, that we don't deal with, that we don't identify, that ultimately come out in our behavior, our actions, our decisions, our relationships, and literally change or set the trajectory of our life. And he says, that is what defiles a person. The source of all of your angst, the source of your greatest regrets, your offensive words, your off the rail decisions. You just need to know this and it's uncomfortable. All of it started from within. All of it originated from inside of you. And when it comes out, it's revealing something about what's happening, not in like your physical heart, but that place inside where all of your emotion resides, your feeling that sets the course for your life. He's like, something started there in an incubator stage and eventually made its way out there. And I know the pushback, you're like, nah, not everything that comes out of my mouth that affects my decision. Like some of that, like, it's not my heart. It's just an accident. Like the pushback is sometimes I just say things that I don't mean. I think Jesus would say, 
What you're actually meaning to say is, sometimes you say things that you don't mean to say out loud. Because you've been taught like everybody else for a couple generations to monitor your behavior, monitor your words and say the right things and act the right way and do the right stuff to the point where sometimes we don't even pay attention to what's behind it. And Jesus is like, in that moment, your heart is showing. There's something going on on the inside of you. And then verse 19, because out of the heart come evil thoughts. And this is something that culture, it took a long time to catch up with what Jesus said 2000 years ago, but everything begins with a thought. And he says, from thoughts originate murder and adultery and sexual immorality and theft and false testimony and slander. And then if you jump over to Mark, Mark has an account of this interaction where Jesus is teaching his disciples and he adds a couple in Mark 7, 22, greed and malice and deceit and envy and arrogance, many arrogant Christians and folly. And I love that word. We don't use it a lot. Folly simply means bad judgment. Like when you became your own worst enemy in some area of your life with some decision is because you paid attention to your own bad judgment that originated from inside of you. And then you came up with reasons and sold yourself on a stupid decision. He's like, all of it starts from within. And so then he says this back to Matthew 15, 20. These, all this stuff that originate from the inside, these are what defile a person. Like these are what put you at odds with God because so important, they put you at odds with other people. And what God cares most about is people made in his image, which is you and everybody around you. So here's the reality. How you treat other people is the only thing that counts. I love Paul's words, shocking. Don't know how we missed this verse, Galatians 5, 16, where he says, the only thing that counts. You're like, well, there's a lot of stuff that counts. I know, but this is the thing that counts more than all those other things. The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. That's it. Which means this, missing mass, depending on your background, missing some gathering, missing communion as meaningful as that is, missing a quiet time, It's not what defiles a person. In fact, all of those things are for you, not for God. God didn't create any of those things or suggest some of the things that he suggests in the New Testament in order for this quid pro quo relationship or this thing of you need to do this to be okay with me. Those are all about you. And those things are meaningful, but it's not about God. And religion starts to go off the rails where we start to create stuff and go, this is what you need to be in good with God. No, the only thing you need to be in good with God is to understand God's love, God's grace, what God did for you, and then go love other people the way God has loved you. That's it. So like some of this stuff for me, like I read through the Bible every year. I would never take that and make it a spiritual practice or discipline for somebody else to go like, you need to do this to be in good with God. No, it might not even be a good idea for you to do that. That's for me and my relationship and a practice that helps me in my relationship with God. It doesn't earn me any extra credit with God. And I don't get points taken away when I don't measure up to it because it's not even about that. It's for me. I keep a prayer journal where I just, it helps me connect. It helps me pray for other people. It helps me weed through some of my thoughts and my emotions, but that's for me. I never stand up and go, you gotta do this. 
because that's not earning me with any extra credit with God. It's not gonna earn you any extra credit with God. Those are simply things for me. But what Jesus is making really clear is this. But if you mistreat someone who God loves, that's a whole nother story. Like what comes out of us is what defiles us because it impacts people around us. So here's why this is a big deal with this series and I'll connect it all as we go. And as I said, it's gonna get increasingly personal and probably uncomfortable as we deal with these emotions in the coming weeks. But here's why it's a big deal because how to not be your own worst enemy, trying to avoid that in your own life is not just about better outcomes. It's not just about better decisions. It's not just about your life being better. And by the way, you follow Jesus, your life will be better. There is no promise of pain-free, problem-free, unbelievably unrealistic. Jesus never teaches that, but come on. You follow the way of Jesus. The way of Jesus is better than anybody else's way. But this isn't just about better decisions and a better life. It has everything to do with what is at the heart of Jesus' message then when you become your own worst enemy, it's not just about you because everything you do affects people around you. And so Jesus would say, I want your life to be better. I don't want you to be your own worst enemy. I don't want you to undermine your own happiness. But I also don't want you to undermine the happiness of my kids who are around you. Because the only thing that counts is your faith expressing itself through love. So how you live your life doesn't just affect you. How you live your life affects everybody around you. And so what we're gonna do in this series is we're just gonna begin to practice how you monitor what is going on inside that ultimately is gonna come out on the outside and beginning to identify those emotions, identify those things inside, identify that stuff that maybe you have never identified and you've just pushed below the surface in order to identify it and deal with it before ultimately it comes out on the outside so that you can begin to say out loud. And honestly, that's what I would suggest. I am not going to be my own worst enemy anymore. I am not going to be my own worst enemy anymore. Anger You're not gonna control my life anymore. I'm not gonna allow this emotion that competes for control to dominate and sabotage my life. Envy, I'm not giving in to you. I'm gonna identify what's going on on the inside that maybe I've never dealt with and I've wanted to blame it on everybody else. Jealousy, I'm not gonna let you rule. I'm not gonna hide behind those narratives. Well, she's just an idiot and did whatever and we wanna blame it on everybody else. I'm not going to allow it to dominate. Greed, you're not gonna have control any longer. Fear, you're not gonna have control any longer. I am not going to be my own worst enemy. And the good news, man, from the gospel is you don't have to be. But come on, how different would your life be if you had learned not just to monitor what you've been taught to monitor in terms of the outward and and making sure relationships work and decisions that everybody's happy with, they're saying the right things and doing the right things, and you had been taught to monitor the emotions that come from your heart, like how would your life and relationships be different? Like, let me ask it this way. For some of you, how how would your upbringing be different if your father had learned to identify the anger that was controlling his life that was making him his own worst enemy and ultimately putting him at odds with you? Like, what would happen if your father had dealt with the guilt that he had been carrying from season to season that he had never identified that was blowing up every relationship in his life? How would your life be? Come on, how would your life be different if your mom had identified the envy that was eating her away? 
Like how would it have been different if your mom had not become her own worst enemy and given into the fear over and over and over again because they had been taught to do what you're supposed to do on the outside, but they had never been taught to monitor the stuff on the inside that ultimately left a carnage of relationships around them. Like how would your life be different? What if you bumped up against religious people in churches that shifted the narrative to go, this is what actually matters most. All the other stuff, not that big a deal. What's going on inside of you, that's what Jesus cares about the most. Like, what if we learn to teach our kids this? I've said this before, but maybe some of the greatest advice I ever got from a mentor was begin to teach this and parent my kids in this way. So there's probably a week that doesn't go by. It's gonna sound weird to you and so preacher-esque, but I'm just telling you, it's so powerful. Where I just get with my kids and usually I try to do it one-on-one. I just go, how's your heart? And we have language around it where I'll just ask like, do you feel like anybody's broken a promise to you? Are you angry about anything? Like, hey, Brooke, do you feel jealous with anybody around you? Is, is there any stuff that you're, anything that you feel guilty about? Because I, I wanna teach my kids not to go with the current of culture where they're taught and every facet of society, how to monitor what comes out and begin to monitor what is going on inside of them before it comes out that has the power and potential to direct every area of your life. And I'm telling you, it opens the doors to conversation for them to begin to learn how to deal with emotions and allow Jesus to deal with stuff in their heart. And come on, what if we did that? What if we, what if we taught like that? Because here's the reality for all of us. Every single day, those who are closest to us experience the overflow of our hearts. Every day. And sometimes we're not even aware fully of what they're experiencing. And sometimes we're not even fully aware of where it's coming from. And so Jesus would say to us, listen, you do not have to live with more regret and you can say no to the emotions that compete for control. And his invitation is the same as always, follow me. And come on, Jesus would say, I've already defeated the greatest enemy in your life. Here's what is true specifically of every Jesus follower. And if you decide to follow Jesus, there is nothing that has control over you in the name of Jesus. You may be giving it control, but it does not have control. The same power that was at work on Easter weekend when Jesus rose from the grave is now inside of you. Envy does not have to rule you. Anger does not have to rule you. Fear does not have to rule you. Insecurity does not have to rule you. Jealousy does not have to rule you. Indifference does not have to dominate you. Jesus has given you everything to quote the New Testament for life and for godliness. You are able to step into all of the power that brings dead people alive to go, I'm not gonna live this way any longer. And I don't have to be my own worst enemy. I don't have to give in. I don't have to say yes to that. I can live a different life. So if the greatest enemy has been defeated and I have all of the power that I need, why would I become my own worst enemy? So Jesus says, follow me. And I'll just end with this verse because I love the invitation. I think Jesus says it so brilliantly in Matthew eleven twenty eight. 28. Come to me. Some of you have been hiding behind stuff and stuffing stuff and settling for doing what everybody does. And Jesus is like, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, because this is an exhausting way to live. And I, me, Jesus, not your religious system, not your mom, not your community group, 
I will give you rest. I want something for you, Jesus would say. I don't want something from you. So come uninhibited and just, just come receive my rest because I'm telling you what Jesus offers right here, this is the pinnacle of what everybody in life is searching for. And they're trying to cram it in with another lease or a renovation or a relationship or a diploma on their wall or another raise. And it just never satisfies. Solomon writes a whole book about it. At the end, it's just without something deeper, it's worthless. But the thing that every human being is looking for, regardless of how much money they made, how many titles, whatever their life has looked like, the one thing that they want is rest. The one thing that they want is peace on the inside. And in the New Testament, Jesus says, my peace I give to you. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest, verse 29, and take my yoke, literally meaning my way of life. And you and upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble, unlike maybe some of the church background you've had or the religious leaders that you've been in contact with that have been anything but gentle and humble. Let me just tell you, that's not the way of Jesus. If you encounter Jesus, one of the ways that you decipher his voice, it is not condemnation. It is a way that is gentle and humble in heart and you will find rest for your soul. So Jesus says, follow me, and perhaps one day your need for supervision will end once you help me, once I help you in the process and the journey of silencing the toxic voices that are coming from within. But you need me and you gotta come to me. So as we close, and this is where we're gonna go for the next so many weeks, what are the emotions that are competing for control in your life? And they have the propensity, if they haven't already, of making you your own worst enemy. We just pray with me wherever you're at right now. If you're physically in a space where you're watching me, if you're listening somewhere. And Jesus, I just wanna pray for everybody who is under the sound of my voice right now that somehow has listened, who's turned into radio, podcast, whatever platform, wherever they are. And we say this often, but we do not believe it's by accident. It is strategic that you are a God of divine appointments. And so you lead us to truth at just the right time in just the right way. And so this moment that seemed casual and maybe accidental was actually an appointment to confront you and your grace and your love and maybe in your grace revealing some stuff that's it's hard to confront in the moment. It feels a little bit like a syringe, but ultimately it's your means to lead us toward healing. And I just pray right now that we would let go of our pride. We would let go of maybe what holds us back and that we would be willing to just come to you and take on your invitation to say, Jesus, I, I want what you're offering. And it's gonna take work. And it's gonna take confrontation with some things inside of us that for some of us, legit, we haven't dealt with for 30 years. But it's Jesus' invitation to find healing and wholeness and rest and peace. And so before I say amen, I just wanna encourage you. We wanna know if you've made a decision today to just text 94,000, text CC decide to 94,000 and let us know if today maybe you've begun a relationship with Jesus or you just made a decision to go. I, I wanna be all in over these weeks to begin to identify those things inside that are making me my own worst enemy. Right now, text CC decide to 94,000. 
Jesus, I just pray that you would meet people exactly where they are right now with your truth. And Lord, I pray that they would experience what you are offering, maybe very much in contrary to what they've experienced in the past. And that is a voice, a savior, a friend who invites them to come and his burden is light. He is humble and gentle and he is offering peace and rest. And I pray that hundreds, maybe thousands of people would find that through this series. And we pray this in your incredible name, the name of Jesus, amen. Thank you so much for listening. If you enjoyed this message or have been impacted by Centerpoint Church in any way, would you consider helping us out in one of two ways? First, if you would just spread the word, share this message with your friends, family. Maybe you could go rate and review our podcast on your favorite podcast catcher, but this helps us so much more than you know. And secondly, this ministry is supported by people like you through their financial generosity. And so if you've been impacted by any of these messages, would you consider giving to support the mission and vision of Centerpoint to see people reach with the radical grace of Jesus? You can give today on our website at centerpointfl.org. And again, that's centerpointfl.org.